Hola y bienvenidos to the World as We Know It podcast, a history and geography podcast where you're invited to an audio tour of each of the world's 197 states. My name's Kiki. Howdy, my name is Brad. <laughs> you're like a hick. <laughs> uh, and we're your hosts, oh, as, yeah. no, as always. <laughs> <laughs> this week, our discussion is on the nation of Mexico. Mexico. This is actually a special episode. Uh, one of our biggest regrets was uh, in our Japan episode that we only did one episode. It should have been a multi-part one. And so that's actually, this is going to be our first two-part episode about Mexico. So we can basically give you more of a, a more of the picture of what happened because you just can't do it in, in one. You want to do it justice, yeah. Um, and that's like, it, it feels weird to be like, oh, we're going to prioritize some countries over other countries, but frankly, we just know a lot more about Mexico than we do, and there's a lot more of a detailed history. Yep. Uh, and so we're going to do this with a lot of the upcoming big, quote-unquote, big countries with long-written histories and a lot of cultural past, uh, and, and we'll see. We'll, it'll come up for every now and then. Uh, and so we're going to extend our overall thoughts for this one. We're going to give you the history up until a good stopping off point and then we'll pick up next week with the rest of the history in the modern times and then the rest of our episode yep we will do that so uh that all being said i feel like i've got some good overall thoughts and a somewhat high initial familiarity rating for mexico before i did my research but let's start with yours brad oh a cliffhanger there's internal <laughs> tension now okay um overall thoughts so as but you know we said for big countries, we want to qualify that by saying, you know, every country has a detailed past. We can talk about it at length. But, you know, as you'll see, Mexico is not only, like, a very prominent, um, like, historically, like, culturally. It's also, like, it's very, very populous. It's got a huge GDP. It's a big country. Huge, big um, country, high population. Um, um, there's just a lot there to cover. And because it's our neighbor... We should talk about it in more detail because we should have more of a Yeah, we should know our base. southern neighbors as North Americans. Um, and if you are not an American listening to this podcast, probably in the future sometime. <laughs> we'll uh, get you one day. Yeah, you should still know about Mexico because you probably have a lot of Mexican people in your country. Yep. Um, so overall thoughts. Um, oh, yeah, so yeah, you go ahead. Yeah. Um, uh, personally speaking, I know that it's very – Mexico is very influential in the culture – in the, the Gulf Coast, because we, we share we all shared the Gulf Coast together. So a lot of things that I found out about in like research and topics are things that, you know, like I live on the Gulf Coast, so we share like the hurricanes and the culture of living on the water. And like also like because we're in Alabama, we're pretty close to the southern border. We have a lot of like shared like foods and culture. I hear a lot of Spanish. Um, it's really prominent in the south. Um, I think that's really, it gives me more of a cultural touchstone to go off of. Um, whereas, like, I had to find some links to, like, St. Kitts and Nevis, for example. I had to research and find those mm -hmm. links. Mexico is, it's obvious as to the effect it's had on me in my life. And then, yeah. You want to put a number on that? Yeah, so let's give a number. A familiarity rating of, let's say, 5.5 to start it. with. Yeah, that's your highest yet, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, so, I similar, yeah. So I'm from Colorado. I think it has a very high population of people of Mexican or Hispanic descent there. 
Mexican food is very big in Colorado. Uh, not in Indiana, where we currently live. Can't find a lot of great Mexican restaurants here. Great. Yeah, we can't find a lot of great... It's, it's, you can find it, you but can it's find not going it, to be authentic. You can find it, but it's not my favorite. Um, maybe because of the governor, but maybe because of other things. Anyway, this isn't a political podcast. Uh, but a lot of what I know... Uh, like it, Mexican history comes up a lot when we're learning about American history. Uh, yep. Because it all starts there. When it comes to the Spanish conquest... Um, and how Americas were colonized, that's kind of where it all starts. So I learned a lot about Mexican history in my Western Civ classes growing up. When you learn about the major Mesoamerican cultures, the Inca, not the Inca actually, that's more South American, but the Olmecs, the Mayans, and the Aztecs, like those three all take root in Mexico, which we'll learn about more in our history. Apparently they're one of the like seven cradles of civilization. Yeah, and like, like it's... I'm, I get a pretty big history boner for Mexican history, um, and I'll, we'll get into it more when I'm talking about it, because this has been, like, a huge exercise for my history boner. Like, it's flipping tables, um, <laughs> because it really just hits the spot on, yeah, sorry, on human civilization. I mean, I mean a cigarette after her overall thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> and then how humans build civilizations, and, I mean, and now that we're kind of, like, into our strides with our podcast, how we can compare this. Like, um, the early Americans, like, early middle Americans can be compared to, like, let's say, like, Japanese islanders. Mm -hmm. And, like, how did Japanese take their culture and how did it differ from Mesoamericans and the first people and natives? And so, like, that's, like, this isn't really into my familiarity ratings, but this is kind of, like, where the interest starts for me. It's, like, seeing what people do and how we build. Uh, and so my initial familiarity rating is a seven because of what I know about the ancient history. What I'm really eager to learn, um, in our, on our second part is more of the modern history. Um, you know, what happened after, uh, Mexican independence happened. And that's something that we don't learn about a lot in school because this happened shortly after American, the American revolution. So we're kind of focusing on our early history at that point, and we don't focus on Mexican history so much. And then the Civil War happens, which overshadows everything yeah. regionally. Yeah. So I, I'm very interested to see, more, learn more about that. Um, have a lot of Mexican friends. Uh, I feel like we are fortunate to live in a place that does celebrate Mexican culture, mm-hmm. uh, and we're not Wait, shutting it out. It's nothing. You're right in Colorado, you're saying? In, in Colorado, but also in, like in our school at Indiana. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a there's like the public affairs of Latin America group. That's neat. Yeah, so I've like met with them a few times. My former roommate uh, is from Southern Mexico, uh, Estella. Shout oh. out to Estella, who will literally never listen to this, but if you see her, <laughs> she hears this. She knows that she was great, and that if I could have lived with her forever, it would have been cool. But we had to go our separate way. This, there's a separate time for this. Anyway. Initial familiarity rating is a seven. (laughs) That's a super solid reference. All right, so that was the extended overview that we're going to give it. Uh, Brad, why don't you give us the snapshot? Let's do it. Um, Get into the nitty-gritty. Get into some structures or Brad stops rambling. Everyone's ready for that. So the official title of Mexico is the United Mexican States, or if we're talking in the lingua franca, the Estados Unidos Mexicanos. The Estados Unidos Mexicanos? What I just said, Kiki. That's okay. Um, also, you guys should know, I took a three years of Spanish in high school uh, and have continued learning it ever since on Duolingo. 
right, which well, will someday be a sponsor. But anyway, that's how I know so much good Spanish. Well, don't hesitate to flex Espanol on Espanol buenos. <laughs> All right, so what we just heard a little bit of was the Hymno Nacional Mexicano, or the National Anthem of Mexico. Mexicano? Yes. Um, we heard a little bit of that. It's a fantastic anthem. I love hearing it before the national team plays. Um, we're getting to soccer in episode two. <laughs> uh, the capital is Mexico City. It is its, Easy one to remember. It is its own little um, federal state, like D.C. Oh, is. cool. Um, it's their most populous city. I think it has like 25 million people. It's a lot of people. It's a huge city. Um, we'll talk more about that later. But yeah, Mexico City, it's a big deal. Um, so, okay. So there's no official recognized federal language for Mexico. It's not Spanish, even though Spanish is the de facto language used by the federal government there. Um, but regionally, they do recognize Spanish as well as 68 native languages as their languages. Uh, a lot of languages. I will say, I think in episode two, we will have a linguist armchair. We haven't oh, heard yeah. from our resident linguist in a while, but yeah. you will. The armchair has grown cold, but the fire still kindles. <laughs> it sure does. Um, <laughs> the linguist armchair. Um, so the religious makeup of Mexico is, and I was as a Catholic, I was surprised by this, is 83% Roman Catholic. That was not surprising to me as a Catholic. Which makes me think, like, why didn't why doesn't the Pope go to Mexico more? That's true. Why did he and come also, to America? Why is Papa Frank the first Latin American Pope? <laughs> Papa bless. <laughs> bless us, Pop. <laughs> uh, he's like the first native Spanish speaker to ever be Pope. He's Argentinian, right? right? And he's from Argentina, not Mexico. Uh, but like, and like things like the Mexican Catholics I know are so hardcore. Yeah, they're really devout, from what I've seen, what yeah. I've met. They're not this white bullshit Catholic. Yeah. Sundays and Easter's and Christmas, not every day mass. I know. I'm a poser. Um, okay, so 80% of the population identifies as Roman Catholic. 10% are other Christians. 0.2% other religions. I'm sure there's some Baha'i faith in there. Don't worry, our yeah, devoted listeners. Yeah. Our Baha'i listeners. <laughs> we know out. that you're in Mexico. We're going to find you. They're with us through the Baha'is and the Belows, so they're fine. <laughs> um, 5% no religion or atheist, and then 3% decline to answer. I'm sure that's a census holdover. Uh, the demonym appeal for Mexico are Mexican. Hey! Um, their government is a federal presidential constitutional republic. I think it's the same as us. Yeah, um, sounds about the Their same. president is Enrique Piña Nieto. Nieto. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, their senate president is Ernesto Codero Arroyo. That's it, Arroyo, because there's two R's. Arroyo. But I will not. <laughs> Good, good um, job. The population of Mexico is 123,675,325. That makes it the 11th most populous nation on Earth. And the area is uh, 1.9, around about million kilometers squared. Makes it the 13th largest nation on Earth. So we're, we're up there. Yeah, um, it's a big boy. It, it's big. It's very populous. Um, and then some, some things I read about the economy is that it's also growing. So by 2050, it's projected. It should be, uh, you know, five or six biggest economies on Earth. So, I mean, it's yeah just like Bangladesh. It's moving up. Um, and it's already up there. Uh, the GDP, we don't usually do GDP, but we included it for Japan, so I feel, I feel I've included it here. Mm-hmm. It's $1.25 trillion. That's the 16th highest, and um, it also marked that, like, they're really big in NAFTA, obviously. So um, Their currency is the peso, the Mexican peso. and I think the exchange rate, if I'm right, I think it's like 12 pesos to $1. I've never even seen a peso. It's okay, I have. I'm going to look that up really quick. It's I okay, Brad. It's cool. <laughs> I have. Peso to dollar. Well, I, I could tell you. It's actually, uh, well, let's, let's change this around. 
Oh no. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> well, let's um Oh, oh no. You know, let's just keep going. All right, I'm going to talk about geography while Kiki, Kiki figures out the peso. Kiki. Okay, um a little bit of It's actually 18. 1 <laughs> US dollar is 18.86 Mexican pesos. So almost 19. <laughs> Good in them. All right. So a little bit about the geography just to situate Mexico in your mind for you non-American listeners. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> AKA you idiots. So, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> so it makes up the southernmost portion of North America. So like uh, geopolitically, Mexico, the border of Mexico with the south ends North America. Um, but physically, like geophysically speaking, um, people think territory east of that like little isthmus. I can't pronounce what the name of it is. The Tehuantepec isthmus. Yeah, after, Tehuantepec. After, after that isthmus in the peninsula. Which is, it includes around 12% of the total area. After that area, it really is like Central American, like actual climate and ecosystem. But we use political borders, so it's in North America. Um, it's bordered to the north in its entirety by the United States. And it's mostly the Rio Grande. But they have a different name for it in Mexico. I can't remember right now. The Rio Grande? No, it's a different name completely. Okay, yeah, okay. it's like, it's a weird name. Um, uh, so that's the northern border. The southern border is... Um, south and west is the Pacific Ocean. Southeast is Guatemala, Belize, and the Caribbean Sea. And purely to the east is the Gulf of Mexico. Um, it's the fifth largest country in the Americas. And 13th around the world. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Lots of big mountain ranges. You have two prominent ones. Uh, the Sierra Madre Oriental and the Sierra Madre Occidental. Um, those are the extension of the Rocky Mountains from North America. Um, it's also crossed by the Trans-Mexican Volcanic Belt, and there's a fourth mountain range. Um, well, the, the Volcanic Belt is also known as the Sierra Nevada, and the fourth mountain range is the Sierra Madre del Sur, and that's um, ranges from something to something I can't pronounce. I think it's Michoacan to Oaxaca. That's Oaxaca? Okay. Yeah, that's what Oaxaca looks like. It took me forever to figure that one out. Because I hear about Oaxaca a lot, yeah. um, but... Um. So I say that to say this, that because of these major mountain ranges and the peculiar setup of like a, a single large big peninsula, um, it has some of the most um, uh, complex weather systems in the world. In fact, it has one of the world's most diverse weather systems um, because of the functions of elevations and stuff. Um, so that's very fascinating to me. Um, yeah, so the, the, the clima, climato- climatologically speaking? Yeah, climato- climatology. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not an expert on pronunciation. <laughs> in regards to that their climate, the Tropic of Cancer effectively divides the country into um, two zones, the temperate and the tropical zone, uh, north and south respectively, and just like the 24th parallel. So north of that's what, cooler temperatures, um, like, you know, kind of like normal, like the United States, and the south it gets more like tropical, more year-round kind of constant temperatures. Um, so let's get in more into the climate or the ecosystem. Uh, it's ranked fourth in the world in biodiversity. And it's one of the world's 17 megadiverse countries, which I think is really cool. They've over 200,000... It's called div- megadiverse. 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 Um, with over 200,000 diverse species, it's home to 10 to 12% of the world's biodiversity, which is very surprising to That's me. That's a huge percentage. Yeah. In one country. I never connected Mexico to biodiversity, mm-hmm. but I guess it has the Yucatan, those jungles. Oh, yeah. All the different biomes in the north. They have two different. They have two different huge. Um, and then land area, lines. it is not not significant. 
two native qualifiers. Yeah, quickly makes that's it how you know I make it more. Um, um, it's the first. It ranks first in biodiversity for reptiles and second in mammals. Um, here's a fun fact for all you nerds out there. Oh, Be- so me. <laughs> because there are so many species of bats, it actually oh never mind fuck that. It actually makes it so it like fifteen percent of all mammals can fly. The only bats are the flying mammals, really. That's crazy. That's how many bats there are. That's um. I'm sorry, the- Mexico, but too many bats. That's a few too many bats. Um, fourth in amphibians, um, fourth in flora. They got lots of biodiversity. That's all I'm saying. They got a lot of different kind of stuff going on. Um, sadly, that, sadly that they had the second fastest rate of deforestation in the world, second only to Brazil. That's a little caveat because they have a lot of stuff going through the legislature now about um, renewable resources, especially energy. Um, I thought I'd add that just you know because that's always a big thing. Mm-hmm. And then um, some of the native culinary ingredients that we attribute to Mexico. All my faves. Um, they have tr- the chocolate comes from Mexico, uh, avocados, tomato. Maize or corn, corn. Uh, vanilla, guava, chayote, whatever that is. I think it's like a, I think it's a yeah, fruit. Look up chayote. I've seen it at the Esplizote, store. Esplizote, camote, hikama, nopal, zucchini, and a variety of other foods. Yeah, I've seen it. It's I like can't a, pronounce. It's a, it's, yeah, it's a plant. I've seen it at the store. Um, they have lots of varieties of beans and squash. They have lots of varieties of chilies. Yeah, we'll learn a little bit more about the Three Sisters, too, which come up in Mexican and Native American cuisine. Um, the Three staples, Sisters are, crops, yeah, yeah, staple crops are beans, corn, and squash. And we'll get yep. into why they're called that later. Um, yeah, so, and then, like, even, like, chili names like the habanero and the jalapeno, a lot of these names come from indigenous, langu- indigenous languages, like... Nahuatl. 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 Yeah, that's okay. So the thing that we're gonna have a lot of difficulty in this episode with name pronunciations because we're all Nahuatl. It's a lot of consonants. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm gonna try my best, and so is Brad. Promise. Yeah. Um, and my last thing here, even though maybe it doesn't fit the snapshot exactly, because okay. more of a this cultural discussion. This is an extended discussion. episode. <laughs> um, so I come across this term, and it's like, what is like the Mexican versus like. Like the demonym or the, like the federal political identification of being Mexican, and Kiki told me that there's a different pronunciation. It's the Mexica. Mexica. So the Mexica. It looks like Mexica, and we yeah. both admitted to calling it Mexica for most of the day when we were doing our research, but it's um, the Mexica people. So, uh, so it's basically an ethnic terms. This lone Mexicano, it, it refers to everything that is like, like as quote unquote like Aztec culture or like those people who are known as like the Nahuas. Yeah, Nahuas, I think. Whose language was that? Nahuatl. Nahuatl. Um, and Nahuatl and Nahuas um, are, I, I believe that they come up a lot in the Maya too. Like all the people, not all, but most of the people in Central America come from some derivation of Nahuatl Nahuatl or have those kind of languages, which is why we see those similarities in how things are named. But please, go ahead. So the distinction that I draw from this is very similar to, like, we have American culture, which is, like, the the culture of, like, most Americans today, and we have, like, the Native American culture, which was supplanted or was here, like, for, was, here, was here first. So this is what I think of this, like, a, like a, a, a linkage here is, like, they have the Mexican or the, or the Mexica people, like, their kind of identity and what it means to be ethnically Mexican and then, like, what it means to be, like, a Mexican citizen or, like, Mexico mm-hmm. today. Um, so it's, like, yeah. So legal terminology and, like, ethnic terminology. And I think it's very, very interesting because they're also coming to grips with, like, people who have, like, those Mesoamerican roots, you know, and people who are, who have, like, more Spanish roots. Um, 
we'll get into that more in history. But I just yeah. wanted to bring it up. It's a duality they have as a, as a country. And we saw some of this also in our Guatemala episode. We did, yes. Where we see people from so many different diverse backgrounds. And that's like explains um, so many of uh, Mexico's indigenous languages. How many? 96? Yeah. Indigenous languages. It's because yeah, they're all coming from these different groups and these different pockets um, that have maintained that language and that culture for so long um, that they're part of their ethnic groups, but they're part of a larger... I'm not going to call it a blanket. I'm going to call it a big hug <laughs> uh, of being a Mexican citizen um, or a Mexican person. Um, and it's just like how you can subdivide that through so much. And we see like people who are still, like Maya still live in Mexico today from the ancient culture that have lived through all this time in their own cultural pockets or through intermarriage with others and still maintaining their culture. Like, and one thing things like these groups aren't who they, they're not just existing until they no longer exist. Like there's new groups forming all the time. Um, human culture and in human societies are constantly forming into new things and new places and, and, and creating, blended cultures and i think that's honestly the beautiful thing about being human is that we can't freeze ourselves into the permanency of being one thing or living under one identity all the time so anyway that's a little speech from me that was a beautiful wax poetic um <laughs> here's the thing it's been a problem i've been i've been calling it trumping where i just keep talking out my stream huh. of consciousness <laughs> um, it's been happening in class I think, like, the other day. I think it's okay if you don't use, if you use above fourth grade terminology. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I do keep it pretty grad school. (laughs) Um, But the other day, I'm like, you guys all know I'm smart, so just just ride with me on this one, and we'll hit hit the end together. Just throw in some efficacy, (laughs) throw in some salient, just throw in some some grad school words. Um, Hey, guys, um, I don't know. uh, Never mind. I can't do a good example now. Um, I'm in Mexico, right? So my last uh, point about this is, I think it would be very beneficial to people, especially in this country, to like not to learn and recognize that Mexico is just as multiculturally is multi just multicultural and diverse as we are, if not more. If not more, and so when you say like like the Mexicans come over the southern border or like Mexican migrants, like there's there's a lot of diversity and difference there, and in this and in the country. So you can't just say like oh Mexican migrants coming over mm-hmm. and have one picture of a person in your mind. It's like it's, these people are coming from a complex, rich, cultural. And, like, I guess, like, ethnological history. And, like, who they are, like, represents so much past. You can't just say that person is is a Mexican. Let's build a wall to keep them out. This isn't a political podcast. No. But I will come out as anti-wall right now. Oh, good position. Um, I'm going to say, like, blend my culture more, please. Well, one So one little thing about, like, uh, diversity in Mexico, which I, well, I don't think I brought up in the Lebanon episode, but... There's a, a documentary on Netflix with, um, uh, what's it called? It's like Ugly Delicious or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Um, and one of the episodes is about like um, like kebab kind of like, or like dinner. Yeah. It's, oh, I love that shit. Yeah. Um, so like heroes. Yeah, like, we're, like, yeah, we're talking about like, um, like kebab. It's like hot meat cones that you shave off the meat yeah. and you put it in some kind of bread or bun. You cover that in sauces. So it's, it's, it's kind of about that tradition of food. And one part of the documentary talked about a large contingent of people from Lebanon and that region moving to Mexico, Mexico City, in like the 19, like, let's say 19, like 18, 1919, that kind of area, 1930s maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and how they brought a lot of food culture to Mexico and how that influenced a lot of like blends of like 
you know, they have like the uh, like the whole um, it's like tortilla kind of style with meats and stuff. It's it's very like diverse, They're like a flatbread. Yeah, flatbread. So like those melding of, of cultures is like very unique to Mexico. Whereas we think of like all like American cuisine is like mixed with Italians and German and stuff, and we have a lot of good rich traditions here. They have just as many rich and fuel traditions down there, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. Um. So we should probably get into this history. Let's do it, I've been putting it off because I don't want to fuck it up. But here I am. I'll fuck up at least one thing. Be sure to let us know in the comments. I'm going to tell you guys now before we get into it, since I'm not going to wrap up the episode probably with our traditional wrap-up. But follow us on Twitter at at AtTheWorldPodcast. Tweet at us. Let us know what we do do wrong. Let us know what we do right. Um, Please leave us a comment on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Uh, that helps us to grow, that helps us to... And rate us. Yeah, and rate us. Rate us and like, write a comment. I think you have to do both. We'll read it on air. We'll tell you how hot you are. We have no new ones, but please, engage with us. Um, and, like, if you're a Mexican person and we deeply, deeply offended you, we really didn't mean to, please let us know. We'll apologize. We'll make corrections. We'll do anything to make it right. Yeah, we welcome your um, your efforts to educate us. Yeah. We're this is a learning podcast. Anyway... So, the history of Mexico. So, to talk about the history of Mexico, I was thinking about ways to do this. It's like, how did people get to Central America in the first place? I'm a fan of the land bridge theory that people came over from East Asia on the land bridge from what is present-day Russia to present-day Alaska. Bering Strait. Bering Strait. How else would they have gotten there? What are the other theories? The big canoe. The big, really? (laughs) No, I don't know. It's someone's theory. Uh, And then came down the... A broken ice path, hunted mammoths, got all the way to Central America. It was much warmer there. They found fertile land, and then they're like, well, sure. Um, so they and went the, from Ming. And those really cool sinkholes with the fresh water, like in the middle of the jungle. Oh, yeah, yeah, those yeah. Those are awesome. Uh, super sick. Uh, and so, like, <laughs> so people, like, there looks, there's a lot of conflicting evidence in this, too. Uh, there's, like, one, I remember, like, people coming down the passage, there's, like, evidence of people in Colorado and, like, Snowmass, Colorado, of maybe people there as early as 40,000 B.C. Holy shit. Um, like, that's 30,000 years earlier than they would have originally thought. So there's a lot of conflicting evidence because we see people, there's potential evidence of people in Mexico around this same time. So there are people like, yeah, 25,000 years ago, there's a campsite from this. But it's hard to really date those things. Uh, and honestly, like, when you think there's people there... A long-ass time ago. And that's all we really need to know when it comes to, like, yeah. forming a country, I think. Yeah, I mean, like, paleo period. Like, prehistory, yeah. yeah. Paleo, hunter-gatherer people get all the way down to Mexico and South America. Um, but really, in Mexico and in Central America is where we see the hugest, like, cultures and civilizations thrive. The Inca get down to South America. We'll get into that more in our Peru episode, etc. Uh, but this is where we're focusing on. So we see maize cultivation starting as early as 8,000 B.C., uh, and agriculture, as we know at this point, and hopefully you all know too, is the beginnings of any civilization. Once they start to learn to plant things, they sit down, they build houses, they start to make rules about living with your neighbors, who can plant what where. Um, you only need one wife, you need enough kids to make the land work. So when we see people cultivating maize around 8,000 BC, this is the start of agriculture in North and South America. Uh, and this, like, happen independently too see it happening independently in japan we saw it independently happening in the fertile crescent so this is where it's starting in the quote-unquote new world so i don't know if you know about i mean we mentioned this term but like 
cradle of civilization, there's like seven of them. Yeah. Is the agriculture what makes it a, a cradle? What makes it a cradle? Let me look it up. Uh, Sorry, probably, I didn't. Yeah. You learn about that while I keep talking about other signs of early civilization. So pottery, another thing that happens a lot is like you need to carry things now because you need to bring water to your crops. You need to store your food because you're settling there. We see pottery around 2300 BC. Uh, and this is like more advanced pottery. They had like probably some like rudimentary things before, but this is pottery with a little style to it. And a little more style and function uh, and meant not to break meant so that it could be traded for other things and that there's probably some artisan who got really good at it making these things for others rather than everyone just kind of digging up their clay and hoping for the best. Advanced agriculture and maize farming starts from 18,000 to 1500 BCE. And one thing about that's interesting about maize too is like when you look at pre prehistorical maize, like they have fossils, they have evidence, and it's like just little seeds in a row. Uh, and these people turned it into something much more similar to the corn that we know today. Yeah. So this is um, where our big Mesoamerican cultures start here, what people are already familiar with, what we learned from our Guatemala episode. The Olmec, the Maya, the Isapo, and the Monte Alto people. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get too much into the Monte Alto people because we didn't talk about it in Guatemala episode. Yeah. Um, but I am going to talk a little bit more about the Olmec and Maya, and especially the Aztec. This is when we first see them because they were not really in Guatemala as much. Did you learn about our cradle of civilization? Yeah, so um, it's it, look. There's like there's mostly six to seven of them, and they refer to this um, this formation of and they, most of these happen concurrently and like you said, in, independently of each other. And it's the formation of like agriculture, some kind of uh, writing or tallying or math system to take like mm-hmm. for, like civilization to start forming like records. Um, it, it began like in this area in Mesoamerica because of like. We know it. We know they had it because of the pottery they left behind. Because they found like pottery with like uh, maize pollen inside, so mm-hmm. they knew they were getting, keeping the grains to replant later. Um, so yeah, and that's that's concurrent with like um, the uh, the early Aegean, like uh, yeah, Grecian. Yeah, and, the, the really yeah. Grecian Neolithic cultures, Egypt, uh, Mesopotamia, that kind of stuff. So, and I think it was rice cultivation that really kicked things off in Japan, wasn't it? Yep. You found your grain. <laughs> Get you a grain. Uh, like, we have to find our, our own special grain, and then we can start our own special civilization. Yeah, my anyway, <laughs> So the Olmec really embody every part of this civilization, like the, the necessary elements to it in the cradle of civilization. So the pre-classic, or the formative period of Mexican history, starts in the 1400 to 400 BCE, and it starts really with the Olmec people. They're the first major civilization to really colonize in this area. And there's a lot of smaller groups, too. Um, but they really don't reach the same success or bigness of the Olmec. The Olmec people, uh, the name is de- derived from a Nahuatl word that means rubber people, which is just funny. Rubber people. Why rubber? The rubber trees and stuff? You know, I think it's actually because they played the ball game. With the hips. Yeah, oh, with the sh- hips. That's awesome. It's a rubber ball. I think that may have been part of it, but they also just had rubber. And they learned to cultivate it and to use it the right way. They're probably best known for their large stone heads. Do you have something to say, Brad? No, it was a stupid joke. Sorry. No, Brad, you tell us. I said we should play the the song Rubber Band Man. Rubber Band Man, Rubber Band Man. I totally thought that when I wrote this song. We should have played that song. But it's not really culturally relevant to them. It wasn't around back then, so. Well, listeners, like, if it feels right, play Rubber Band Man in your head when we say that. Anyway. uh, So they lived on the tropical lowlands of south-central Mexico. 
uh, some things we know about them, they play the Mesoamerican ball game, which we know a little bit about from the Rotel Dorado. And it also comes up a lot in Mayan and Aztec culture. Like, this is where it starts. What we know about it is that they were really effing serious about it. There's usually two teams, and it was a hole, like a, like a hoop in a wall with a rubber ball. And that's how they would play it. Um, I can't I can't paint a good picture, but you guys know. I think for what I, I can't tell if this is something I, I've heard conjectured about it, but I think it was supposed to be like the ball going in the hoop has like the passage of time and stuff. Yeah. It'd be like extremely violent the way it was played, like like tackling. Yeah, like, like if your team lost, like they think that like it would just kill the other team. Yeah, so like, it was yeah. pretty high stakes. Um, and we also know that like the sun god for well, the Nahuatl people is the most significant thing. And so when we see like if a ball passes through, it's like the sun so yeah probably more ritualistic than sport like uh, and we'll see this in every culture that we're going to talk about today too in the waddle um bloodletting and blood sacrifice is hugely important to the religion yep. um it's believed that blood feeds the gods blood makes the sun work and that's why it makes bread faint too it's really powerful stuff it really <laughs> um so when like we see like there's Human sacrifice, it's because it's the most important thing to them to make things happen. Yeah. Um, and they just don't want to risk to see what would happen if they didn't have human sacrifices. They made a great pyramid. Uh, I think the ruins of which you can still see, but it's pretty fucked up now. And it's, like, much bigger than the Great Pyramid at Giza. It's gigantic, right? Yeah, it's a big guy. But also, this is, like, the ruins. This is the Olmec one. There are... Hundreds, if not thousands, yeah. of pyramids in Mexico made by these people. They're still finding it, which is crazy to me. Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. So it's in the dense jungle and is covered by like light layers of like soil and mm-hmm. stuff. They did have a writing system, uh, and they independently invented the concept of zero. Uh, many civilizations have invented zero. Yeah, I don't think we can say like any one person did, but like it's something that's really I was thinking about. Like, we're not. Gonna, this isn't a philosophy podcast. This isn't a math podcast. But I to like realize like. When you're living in a world where you cannot see zero and you cannot really feel zero, you have to, like, recognize that there has to be some sort of placeholder for when something isn't there. I felt zero plenty of times in my life, Kiki. Uh, well, you... <laughs> Just kidding. You are a zero. Anyway, uh, so the Olmec people had that, and this also carries on to the, like, advanced mathematics of the Mayan and Aztecs. Um, because they all had, like, advanced calendars, eventually. Like, we yeah. all heard, like, Aztec. I remember, like, 20, 2012. The Mayan calendar said the world was going to end. Yeah, and the Mayan calendar said the world was going to end. It because there was a zero there. <laughs> anyway. So, the thing about the Olmec big heads. This is what people know about the most. It's remember I remember from sixth grade. Um, they are likely, like, Olmec rulers dressed as ball players. Um, according to, like, their headgear um, and their expressions. They don't think that they're independent like they either rulers or ball players that's what they think they were there are 17 known ones of them each are individual individually unique i should say they no, no two are the same wow they're huge yeah and some well some i was gonna say uh, are four foot ten and some get up to 11 feet high um more things about the olmec like they also had um, beautiful jade art a detailed clay work um, and like, if you look at the Olmec big heads, I encourage you to take a break from this podcast and Google it right now. We'll wait. So you see that like they have some like very human features they are very recognizably human heads. Look at their art. Like it's very, it's striking. So Olmec people disappeared. People say different things about what happened to them. They think maybe there was a big drought. Um, 
Shit happened. The Omec went away. So then we're going to talk about the Maya people. We're talking about this in Guatemala, too, because Guatemala still has a huge Mayan presence today. Wait, so the Olmec were gone before even AD? They were no, working together. There is some overlap. I think, uh, did I include a timeline on here? I, yeah, 400 BCE. Okay. Uh, that's a pre-classic. I think they got up until, like, maybe 400 AD. But I'm not sure. But I know that there was, like, there is evidence that the maya and the olmec interacted and they traded a lot of culture which is how like the maya got kind of like a kickstart in developing their culture because when the olmec people were dying out for whatever reasons the the maya were still going strong and they could carry that that information onwards the pre-classic maya starts at 2000 bce so there's overlap here too this is where it gets a little confusing because you don't know where you want to start and where you want to focus on the most because it's all significant yeah um, but they could have been there around 3,000 or 8,000 years earlier in 3,000 BCE. They started developing from an agricultural society to a more complex society around 1,000 BCE. Um, I just put it as a note. They are very into obsidian. Yeah. Uh, dragon glass, if you will. Uh, and from 400 to Maybe BCE, we should build a wall. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's a Game of Thrones reference, not that, a political statement. That is a Game of Thrones That's a kind of funny Game of Thrones reference. <laughs> Um, so from 400 BC to 180, so 500 years, they get into <laughs> big time architecture, <laughs> is my rudimentary note. Um, and so they're building their own pyramids. They're building um, things that are astrologically and mm-hmm. mathematically sound to be exactly what they are, like precision to the max. What is that really popular place people go sort of the P? Um, I asked you this exact same question. Are you thinking of Chichen Itza? No, Chichen Itza is in Mexico. It is in Mexico. It starts with a P. You continue to speak. I I will keep speaking. Um, So there was a a pre-classic Maya collapse. So this early form of the Maya did have a collapse where things really stalled. Um, Also should be said that the Maya, there weren't just like one big group of people. It was a lot of littler groups of people that all had like same things going on. But they weren't really working together. So it's like shared language, but working on different things. And we'll also see this come, coming up later that like different groups had different priorities um, and different thoughts. Uh, they never really ultimately ruled by one emperor at any point. Well, I mean, somewhere. Yeah. It's hard, it's hard to make a lot of generalizations of the Maya for me. Uh, and then we get into the classic Maya from 250 to 980. Um, long period of time. A more big scale architecture, more pyramids, big cities with five like fifty thousand to one hundred twenty thousand populations. Uh, language, math. Uh, they had they had everything, you know. Like there's a good place to live. Also, I mean, more human sacrifice. Sue me. Um, <laughs> warring people, very like um, that had really detailed social stratification with like a warrior class, a peasant class, ruling class, elite class. Uh, priests uh, and like they they really had everything down so that when you were born you had a basically like a good a path to follow for your life do you have something to say i think i can't remember i think this is the culture where they have the um the the time slash record keeping system of the knotted cords yeah draping down from a doorway or like an archway i think this is this is that culture which is really really neat and cool i think you're right um I think they also had, this is when, like, that, like, spicy drinking chocolate becomes, like, the luxury drink. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, like, I think, this is not Montezuma, right? This is way before this? Montezuma is an Aztec king. Okay, we'll, we'll get, get to him later. Apparently he drank lots of chocolate. 
Yeah, he did. He did also killed a lot of people. Like he put blood in chocolate and stuff. Like, I mean, it was just a total, a not, total Montezuma move. It's not very cash money of him, but anyway, keep going. Uh, but like, I feel. I mean, we did talk about the Maya at length in, in Guatemala, and I don't want to give them uncredit. Yeah, I actually saw a Mayan exhibit at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. I think in 2014. Okay. Granted, I was a little high when I was there. And it was, like, some of the things, like, beautiful, like, golden art, like, iconography. Um, and you get to learn what things mean and, like, detailed story making in Mayan hieroglyphs and in pictures. Uh, like, surgery, I think, like, trepanning or trepanation, like, when you drill holes in people's heads. Like, they knew how to do it in ways that wouldn't kill people and that their brain wouldn't slosh around the hole. What? That they made. Like, I don't, they're so advanced. And they had, like, really... I mean, I don't think I'd want to live there. Probably uh, not. I don't think I'd want to live a lot of places in the ancient world. And it doesn't seem like, I mean, it, if it, you know what's expected of you, and you, because like, even when we talk about human sacrifice, for a lot of people, it wasn't something to be afraid of. It was an honor to be sacrificed. Yeah, I mean, and like getting my Western head around that, even because like, we look at Viking human, Vikings sacrifice humans all the time, and it was an honor in their culture too. And like, if you are strong enough to be sacrificed, you are, you know, a gift to the gods in some sense. I don't, I don't know if it's, I think it's Aztec, but I think by the Aztec point, they were like rounding up people and forcing them to be sacrificed. They were like, they were like grabbing like little villages and stuff. But depends on how much you know from the colonizers who recorded that history from their Western perspectives. Fair enough. Uh, but anyways, that that's more about the Maya. Another culture that we didn't talk about in Guatemala was that. Teotihuacan, uh, which refers to both the ancient city and the civilization. This is in the basin of Mexico, so where the Caribbean island goes, like, in, they're, like, there. If you could see my hands, you would understand. <laughs> Again, they had, like, that pyramid city, where, in, like, it was, like, temples, like, sun temple, moon temple. Is it Tenochtitlan? No. But no. you're, that's, that's Mexico City, and we'll get there with the Aztecs. I'll, this I'll, is I don't Te- know about Aztecs, obviously. Um, and they have, like, a, apartment complexes because their population is so dense that they're like, yep, we got to start stacking them on top of each other. Um, and it was, like, a religious center. They had a polytheistic religion. Same with all the Nahuatls. Yeah. Human and animal sacrifices. They peaked in 450 AD, which is, like, the span of their empire, which branched out pretty far. Um, and but their span was from a hundred, um, one hundred eighty to like seven or eight hundred AD. But that's a little unclear. Uh, and they were sacked by invaders in the seventh or eighth. Invaders. Century. Yeah, I got a typo, but yeah, I'll let all Brad's typos slide because I'm a better person than him. I guess. And he copies and pastes more, so he does copy and paste more. <laughs> he doesn't even get his, uh, deserve to content anybody. But that that's um, that's the Teotihuacan. Uh, we also have the Toltec people. They were considered the cultural predecessors to the Aztec or the Mexica people. They were ruled by, uh, for a time, by the priest king Quetzalcoatl, who is probably one of Brad's favorite historical figures, yeah, only because it's up there. It, he's a, of his namesake. Yeah, my middle name is Quetzalcoatl. Yep. Uh, their empire spent from 674 to 1150 AD, so I thought it was a pretty, like, a pretty um, specific beginning date for something... But they had a written history. Wait, why is it A-D-E? Because that's a typo. Okay, sorry. I was like, oh shit, do I not know how to really say it? <laughs> nope. It's okay. uh, 1158. It's the new lemonade. Um, 
It's the lady. <laughs> but anyway, the Toltec had advanced architecture, sculpture, and art. They also had these things that like define them. They're called chalk mules. Chalk mules. Chalk mules. And they're like these reclining figure statues or statuettes that held like dishes or, or incense on top of them. And they did also have possibly had a lot of interactions with other nations and other cultures. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen these. Yeah. Well, these are, yeah, these are very... Um, they're just hanging out. Illustrative of the, uh, the art. It's cool. So that's, that's things about the Toltec. And this is just a small picture of of all the cultures and the subcultures and like what's going to basically like fragment and then recombine into what we know as modern Mexico and where all these people are. But now we're getting into the Aztec culture, which I think will be the, the big meat and potatoes of this episode because they're the empire that comes right before the Spanish conquest. So uh, you talked a little about this in the preview. Um, the Aztec empire is formed from the Mexica people in mm-hmm. central Mexico and they lived in Tenochtitlan, uh, which is now Mexico City. Uh, and everybody was speaking Nahuatl. Uh, the word Aztec means people from Otzlan. Otzlan was this mythical place people associated it with the north. And it's believed that the Mexica people came down from the north, maybe even from the southern United States. Like, there was evidence that they did have interactions with, like, mammoth. Or they did cool. bring, like, North American crops down with them. So, the, yeah, they really did come from, like, a long way, and they had this kind of mystery about them as, like, northern barbarians, actually. When I was listening to this other podcast, I think it's called History on Fire. It was very good. That's where I get a lot of my information from this one, so I'm not plagiarizing. I'm giving some verbal credit. Uh, History on Fire. We'll link you on Twitter if you yeah. ask. Um, but he said, basically, the existing cultures, so like the Mayans and the, and the people around this area were, like, uh, the Mexica are barbarians. They're fucking nuts. Um, because the Mexica were known for basically being kind of brutish, like bloodthirsty warrior types. They're the Vikings of Mesoamerica. They are. Because what he, like this podcaster, I forgot his name already, Danielle something. He's a boy, but he's his name is Danielle. Anyway, uh, he says like it's kind of like the ancient Romans hiring barbarian mercenaries to hmm. do their dirty work this is kind of how they these existing places interacted with them because they were just really fucking vicious uh if you were a boy you were given like your first club when you were two they had they had clubs that it was like a wooden club that just had shards of obsidian yep. in it i've seen this yeah just bust shit around like they yeah. get a bow and arrow when they hit five kind of spartan they actually go to military camps like spartan, and schools yeah. Girls are raised to be housewives. Uh, they're definitely not a love culture. They're more like uh, you. when you win, you win. Women who die in childbirth are honored. Men who die in war are honored. That's very Sparta-ish. Very sparta I thought the exact same thing. They had, a, <laughs> in my notes, a big, big pyramid. They practice human sacrifice. So again, with Nahuatl people, they like if you were a regular Mexica person, you probably every day would just cut yourself and sacrifice that to the gods. And when the gods... I'm not about that even a little bit kicky. <laughs> I mean, I hear, I sell my plasma. I see my blood on a daily basis. I'm literally selling it. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so they would often um, have human sacrifices to appease the gods, etc. As a warring culture, one thing they would do too is like they were always they always tried to be at war so that they could always bring back more prisoners to sacrifice. And if they weren't at war, they would just start wars they called them flower wars um and so they they would just find their neighbors and pick on them and the neighbors were like we can't do much about this 
uh, one thing that brought was brought up in the podcast too is that when a baby boy is born, the midwife um, would say, uh, "May you one day be honored with the the flower sacrifice or something." And it's like this is where we learn like it was a gift to be considered for sacrifice. Like you want to die in battle or you want to be sacrificed. That's the way to go out if you are a man. So she died of old age, just like yeah, it's like fuck you. You yeah. weren't good enough. It's bad. For, it's in bad taste. <laughs> um, unless you're probably the ruling class, probably. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so wow. this is so when we say that the Aztec Empire too, it's um, the confederation. The Aztec Empire is a confederation of three city states of Tenochtitlan, Texcoco, and Tlalpan. 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 They believe this started on like 1427. So this is right before the Spanish conquest. If you're getting, if you want the mental picture of this too. Um, and, uh, so, and th- this kind of messes me up. So, like, there's, like, a very common, like, little, like, cool fact on the internet that's, like, like, the College of Oxford is, like, older than the Aztec Empire. Because people think Aztec, they think, like, ancient world. But, like, yeah. it's a middle-aged, yeah, yeah. like, renaissance is, empire. If we're talking about, like, ancient civilizations, Aztec is a very recent, quote-unquote, ancient civilization. I wouldn't call them even ancient. i call no. them, like, just a historical mm-hmm. empire. And, like, things like what this podcaster brought up and what I've been like thinking about since I've been listening to it is like history to on say fire that guy. they are yeah history on fire guy yeah. is that like yeah they were advanced that doesn't mean they were moral and it doesn't mean that that civilizations in Europe at the same time were also moral just because they had a different religion yeah I mean technology doesn't mean advancement necessarily it means how you use your technology these people still didn't have metallurgy like they weren't Yep. making steel and and we've mentioned this before like the whole like guns germs and steel way of looking at the world it's like the mesoamerica didn't have any like beasts of burden they had like no. llamas they didn't have anything to like till the earth yeah like, they didn't they didn't have large equipment because they didn't have anything to really tame or pull it they didn't have, the they didn't have any trade yeah. trade partners like major major trade partners that yep. had anything different than that what they had to inspire or challenge or whatever they had i mean they're doing this all on their own um, so there's a few more stories about the Mexica people. Uh, they just really didn't get it. They were just bloody people. One time they was like one of their kings was friends with another king from a neighboring um, kingdom. That sounds like repetitive. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, you know what? We're gonna honor you. We're gonna take your princess and we're gonna make her one of the gods. And they weren't really like the other guys weren't really listening when this happened. Like, we're going to make your daughter a goddess. And they're like, okay, they're going to marry my daughter. It's going to be cool. We're going to solidify this alliance. But, uh, bro. So, yeah, I know you can hear this batting. It's very it's very mm. red wedding. Um, so they go to this big party. Everybody's having a great time. And then one, suddenly a priest comes out wearing the skin of the princess. Oh, fuck. Um, because it was um, ritual at that time after your sacrifice to flay. So this made me sick to my stomach. And I need to spread this burden because, like, it was really, it was as I was grocery shopping today. And it's, like, like thinking of, like, the horror on that girl's face, like, not knowing that she was going to be sacrificed and that her skin was going to be taken off and worn by somebody else. And to be that dad seeing your daughter's skin on a priest. And so uh, they're kind of disgusted. They're freaked out. And they're like, we got to stop fucking around with these Mexica people. But the Mexica actually quickly became the most successful group in the region. Uh, they had an uprising against their Azcapotzalco rulers. Uh, and then they just kind of, like, they took over the whole area. They really spread fast. Um, by the end of Aztec rule, Tenochtitlan was the largest city in the world. It was actually maybe second largest to Naples at the same time. This was, like, Renaissance post 
Black Death era in Naples? I learned on the History Channel before it was the Aliens and Nazis channel. And I was like, a kid. This is like peak History Channel. Tenochtitlan had like um, this huge irrigation system. They had like, um, they had like, um, they irrigated into these big, like looking almost like centrally radiating like flower petal configurations, like really complex like neighborhoods. And they had like really cool like, um, like, um, like streets and set up. It was like really, really, really complex and cool. And that's, true like they had it all planned out they also had a very elaborate bureaucracy and tax system like they really they had it all it was organized ass they were just really bloody about it anyway so now getting to the next part it's our uh the spanish conquest um so i'm gonna start we will have a music cue coming up eventually okay um so, the first Europeans to arrive in what is modern-day Mexico were survivors of a Spanish shipwreck in 1511. Um, the only two that managed to survive were a guy named uh, Geronimo de Aguilar and Gonzalo Guerrero uh, until Spanish explorers came years later. This is actually a very interesting thing. Remember those names, or at least remember the idea of those names, because it'll come up in a good story that I have. Aguilar and Guerrero, okay. Uh, and then in 1517, an expedition, expedition led by Francisco Hernández de Cordoba, uh, left the harbor of Santiago de Cuba to explore the shores of southern Mexico. So they're coming down from Cuba with a, a group to see what's going on there. Um, during this expedition, uh, most of Hernandez's guys died. Um, they're definitely battling against the Maya at this time. No one really wants them there. Uh, and then he goes back to Cuba. And people, but people are still really curious about what's happening in the new world at this time. They're like, well, we're, we're pretty sure they've got gold and they have other things too because I'm eating this potato right now and I'm digging it out of the ground because they grow underground. Anyway, but it's delicious. And I want to find a way to exploit this. Probably what they're thinking. Super, super joke. And then we get to our, our guy, um, Hernan Cortez, a real bastard. A little history about Cortez. Um, this is just going to be very brief what I know about him. So he's living in Spain. He's kind of like a lower aristocratic family. Like he has education, but he's not really up there. He is, so he seduces the sister-in-law of, I think his brother-in-law, something like that. Like someone in extended family. In Spain. In Spain. And then his brother-in-law is like, his name is Veracruz. And he's like, don't fucking do that. And he's already, like, has his hand up one skirt, trying to get in another one. And he's like, well, you got to marry her. So he's like, fine, I'll marry her, whatever. So he marries this guy's sister, gets a little more status. And he's like, I want to go to, <laughs> I want to go to Mexico. Um, and he's, like, notorious for being a fucker. Like, a womanizer, kind of a drunk. He also says that he's a very staunch Catholic, but you're like, nah, yeah. You can be a drunk and a staunch Catholic. That's I mean, yeah, yeah, that's as for Catholic. But like, but, but like the... <laughs> he, he, he gets to be pretty down with raping women. A bastard, yeah. Uh, he's just a huge dick. So anyway, so he leads an expedition to Mexico because he actually wants to get away from his wife. He wants to get away from the brother-in-law. Uh, and he lands there on April 22nd, 1519, 300 years after... Uh, beginning 300 years of Spanish hegemony. Also at this time, the Aztec king was Montezuma, very famous, probably one of the most well-known kings of Mesoamerica. And, like, gotta be careful about making any kind of generalizations, but I think it's pretty fair to say that Montezuma was also kind of a dick. Kind of a, kind of an a-hole, but I don't know. I didn't live there. He just did a lot of kind of shitty things. 
in any way. So. Even European kings, I mean, kings yeah. in general probably weren't the most righteous, nice people in the world in the Middle Ages. Anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, Cortez starts going through this region. He starts killing natives without much thought to it. Um, and a lot of places, he likes, like, I mean, the vulnerable parts. He doesn't go into these big cities to kill them as often. He mostly kills the smaller uh, villages around these big cities. When he gets to a big city, he's, like, waiting until they're having a ritual so that their best warriors are preoccupied and then killing vulnerable people and, and scaring them up. And they're using gun germs and steel. Uh, but their guns and cannons and stuff are mostly for show and for psychological effect because to the natives at this time, they're basically scary aliens. If you've never seen a cannon before, it rocks your world. I mean, that's yeah. frightening. And they're wearing these shiny metal outfits. And when you're a native warrior, I mean, you can be the most fearsome warrior, but that's a completely unknown enemy. You don't know how to kill them. Yeah, they're technologically um, overmatched. And people were saying also, like, the Maya really uh, prioritized hygiene. And like when the in the friendly encounters they had with the Spanish, because Spanish women were manipulating them, they were getting in. Yeah. Um, they were having some friendly trainings too, but they would like overdose the Spanish like incense because they were like wearing their sweatsuits, their metal sweatsuits. They smell bad. After being on a boat for forever, uh, and they, they just smelled really bad. So that's kind of like a funny human thing uh, that we can all relate to. A stinky person. One anecdote I read that um, is that uh, so. The first Spanish explorers came, and they asked um, the the Maya um, like what the area was called, like where they are. And it's theorized that they said um, uh, Yucatec, which means like in the Yucatec Maya means like uh, I don't understand what you're saying. So they call the Yucatan Peninsula like that, based off that. Based like what what the fuck are you saying? I can't understand <laughs> <That's>... you. <laughs> which I think is funny. That is actually kind of funny. Like I mean, it's those like human moments. Uh... But anyway, so Cortez, you know, fucks shit up. He eventually captures Montezuma and tortures him before personally killing him. Like, personal torture and kill. Why? It's uh, just fucked up. Because Cortez was a fucked up bastard. He was a sociopath. I'm like, just going to put it out there. He was definitely a remorseless asshole. Like, were they conquering Mexico for Spain? Were they looking for gold? Yeah. Like, well, so, was it a um, charter? What he said, too. Also, like, one thing that I almost liked before I realized who said it is, like, when Cortez was asked about his priorities, like, or how he's going to die, he's like, I'm going to die by the sword or by the scaffold. Like, I'm going to die, you know, like, either being hanged. Oh, yeah. Um, or, or in battle. I was like, painting your house. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's <laughs> He's like, I'm going to be an artist or a warrior. <laughs> Mary between. Um, but anyway, so he wants to live this life of adventure. He, they say it's for God and glory. Um, yeah. Like, mostly for God, mostly want to evangelize and make everybody a Christian and give glory to God, but also because gold and personal fame. Um, but the one story I had was also Cortez uh, is, like, is talking to some, some Mayan people, and they're like, yeah, we know some Spanish people, actually. And you know those guys that got shipwrecked uh, on the boat? Uh, Guerrero and Alvarez Aguilar. And Aguilar, yes. Haha, I remember. You did remember. And he's like, well, I'm going to, I'll rescue them. I'll do that. So he sends out a note in Spanish, and it's like, hey, um, if you want to be saved, come to our boat at this time. <laughs> um, and Aguilar comes, like, the next day. He's on a boat. He's wearing Mayan garb, and he's, like, fucking terrified, and he's, like, so happy. And he's like, you guys are saving me. Nice. <laughs> um, and, and he says, Wait. well, like, let me tell you about Guerrero. <gasps> Oh, shit. He's like he's he was my buddy. Everybody else was like on this like not all of us died on the shipwreck. Did he get flayed? We'll get there, Brad. Oh shit! 
Um, see, like, but Guerrero, like, I, I haven't seen him in a while, but I know what tribe he's in. Um, let me get him before you guys take off without me. And they're like, sure, buddy. Uh, amigo? <laughs> so he goes back, uh, and he finds the tribe that Guerrero was sell- sold to, or he was traded to. Mm-hmm. And he sees Guerrero, and Guerrero has tattoos on his hands. He's wearing all Mayan clothes, and he has tattoos on his face. And he's like, hey, Guerrero, I got us saved. Like, I had a hookup. That was M&M's. Don't worry. He's like, I got a hookup with some a Spanish ship. They're going to take us home. And Guerrero's like, I'm good. Uh, and so then we learned about Guerrero's story. So Guerrero was traded to this place. He was working as a slave. And then he saved the king from an alligator there's no way that really it's fucking no, awesome this is like it's like in record and they had records too it's like a great book like, yeah movie. so and it, it's actually pretty famous in mexican history um but guerrero saved the king and then he was given warrior status and from there he worked his way up he ended up marrying the king's daughter and he had three kids what the fuck this is awesome and in this time his wife comes up to Algaraz, and she's Aguilar. Aguilar. you're right i'm wrong and she's like what the fuck are you doing? He's my husband. I want to keep him here. Who do you think you are to tell, take him away from us in our life? And his wife has like no problem telling Guerrero to fuck off. And this guy's like, no, you can't want this. And he's like, I got three kids. My face is tattooed. Do you think I can go back to the thing? He's like, take your kids with you. He's like, no. Yeah. I'm Mayan now. I'm an advisor to the king. I'm a great warrior. In times, awesome. yeah. In times of peace, I'm an advisor. And in times of war, I lead. I can't get that. Riding a fucking alligator, apparently. So, like, when we talk about, like, Spanish conquest, too, it's, like, it's it comes down to individuals. And, like, this guy took this opportunity, and he he's like, I, I'm choosing them. And if it comes down between it, I will fight as a Mayan, not a Spanish. This is the exact opposite of the Rolf Pocahontas story. It very much is. And it's much better. Um, and, like, so... Um, <clears throat> Our, bo- our other boy, Ag, or, uh, Ag- Aguilar, Aguilar and Guerrero. Our other boy, Aguilar. I, sorry, I think Aguilera. Christina Aguilera, Aguilar. Aguilar keeps coming back to try to convince him, and he's like, you gotta, you gotta leave me alone. Uh, and then finally he does, and he's like, fine, uh, yours to lose. And then I guess some years later, in another war with the Spanish, or another fight with the Spanish, um, they're counting the bodies, and they find a Spanish man with tattoos on his face, and tattoos on his arms, no. who had died you know, fighting for the Maya. Shit. And they believe that it is him. That's fucking awesome. And, like, I don't know, that was just, like, a, a kind of, like, you choose who you are, and you choose who you want to be, and when you make that human connection, because, like, our Aguilar spent all those years in captivity dreaming of time he could get back, and Guerrero had the opportunity, and he was accepted, and he found a new life. And it's just like a very nice story. That's the most human story about colonialism we've had. It really is. And that's like, I think that's why I liked it so much to hear. Because like, I, it's easy to villainize all Spanish. And it's yeah. easy to also villainize the Aztecs and the Maya. Um, well, depending on what perspective you're looking from. It's hard not to vilify them after yeah, they, they are victims they wipe them out. Yeah. For sure. Um, but they're also like a warrior culture, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. 
but anyway, that was just like a story that I feel like is going to awesome. stick with me I'll, for a super long time. And that was from the podcast? Or you that was from the podcast that will be linked on our Facebook page and our Twitter. I might throw that on. Um, so a little bit more about Cortez uh, and his conquest, basically. I mean, this story aside, the Spanish go through ruthlessly, um, capture all members of royal families. And except for that, they basically keep their infrastructure intact. They're like, you can basically keep the same societies, but you're all going to be Spanish subjects and we're going to enslave most of you. But you, you can, like, those of you who have power can help us enslave lesser people. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they keep that kind of the same. They immediately order priests and friars to come and evangelize and, and force everyone to, to become Christians. And then they start enslaving natives and forcing them into agricultural labor. And this is the beginning of New Spain. There's also another story about Cortez. There's this, so basically, Cortez and his guys get in a fight with the Mayans another time, and then as a kind of peace gesture, the Mayans send them some food and drink, and then like 20 women uh, to be their sex slaves. And then one of these women is um, given to like officers and kind of passed around, and eventually she becomes Cortez's concubine or mistress. And she's actually... Like, she's a divisive figure. She's the mother of New Spain uh, because she acts as an interpreter. Hmm. She has Cortez's son. Um, she kind of becomes a, a powerful and influential woman. She is called Doña Marina. Um, that's her Spanish name. She also had a an Aztec and a Mayan name. Yeah. People think that Marina is kind of like the Spanish bastardization of her name, like whatever Probably. it sounded most like. Yeah. Um, she's often confused with La Llorena, which is a Mexican mystical figure of a woman who weeps for her children. Like she's heard to be crying around like a ghost who cries. Hmm. Um, but that's, that's where Doña Marina comes from. If you're familiar with that story. Anyway, so New Spain, uh, colonialism. So the capture of Tenochtitlan marks the beginning of the 300 year colonial period, which Mexican in Mexico is known as New Spain is ruled by a viceroy in the name of the Spanish monarch. Um, colonial Mexico had key elements to attract Spanish immigrants, so they had um, dense and politically complex indigenous populations that could be compelled to work, huge mineral wealth, especially major silver deposits in the northern regions in Zacatecas and Guanajuato. The vice royalty of Peru also had these things, uh, so that's why they kind of moved down south, mm-hmm. uh, and that's Spanish South America in the late 18th century, but that's that's for later. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, the wealth made Spain a dominant power in Europe. They're rolling in it, and they also have all this new, all these new crops, all that and potatoes, all of them. What were they avocados? But what is avocado uh, from, Brad? I know you wanted to tell us. <laughs> Good segue. So apparently, well, well, the name avocado is comes from somewhere else. I don't know if it's avocado or what the Aztecs called it, but anyway, what the Aztecs called the avocado came from the word meaning testicle because it's shaped like it looks like a, a scrotum a lumpy ball yeah lumpy balls anyway <laughs> so found a way to segue that one in fortunately so uh they become a rival like a great arrival of england and france with their new wealth spain does and the netherlands uh, spain silver mining and crown mints create high quality coins the currency of spanish america which comes the silver peso or the spanish dollar global power come, becomes yeah. spain Spanish conquerors didn't bring all of the Aztec empire under its rule, though. There were still lots of pockets in, like, the highlands and the mountains. We see this in Guatemala also. Yep. That retained their culture, retained their power, that were pretty effective at fighting the Spanish off for centuries, even. That really did get to keep their culture and, and keep the Spanish out. Um, especially the Maya. The Maya didn't give up. Uh, 
those outside the zone of settled, settled Mesoamerican civilizations in the nomadic northern Indios Bar- Barbaros, the wild Indians, is what they were called. Yeah. They fought fiercely against the Spaniard, Spaniards and their indigenous allies. Um, some of their indigenous allies, like the Tlachalans. Yeah. There's wars happening still. This this is a constant thing where, like, basically, all I'm saying is, like, it wasn't completely ever 100% conquered. Yeah. No matter what the Spanish said about it. Um, and the most important source of wealth in the first years after the conquest was uh, encomienda, um, which is basically using indigenous slave labor. Yep. Uh, and it talks like, a little bit more about how they would, I mean, we talk about mestizos. This is big in Guatemala, actually big in Paraguay, too. Yep. Um, so they developed a new class system in New Spain with pure Spanish blood being at the very top, mixed race people inhabiting various sorts of the middle, and then indigenous yep. people being very much at the, at the bottom, as well as uh, enslaved people from Africa uh, and the Caribbean. So this uh, stratification keeps happening, very much like in America, very much in Guatemala, we see this. Uh, anyway, so forced labor keeps happening. Uh, over the next three centuries, centuries of colonial rule, fewer than 700,000 Spaniards, most of them men, uh, settled in Mexico. I think it's no fewer than 700,000 men. Um, so it's Europeans, Africans, and indigenous people, they all intermixed, creating the caste system. Uh, and then actually some interesting things, education was very much encouraged by the crown from the beginning. So they wanted these, these populations, probably not the poorest, but uh, the, the top and the middle classes especially to be fairly well educated. And so they had the first public primary school in Texcoco in 1523, the first university in Northern America, the University of Mexico in 1551, and the first printing press in the North America, uh, which came in 1524. Indigenous languages did not disappear completely. I think our linguists armchair, our linguist in the linguist armchair will talk about it. Um, but indigenous languages were studied mainly by religious orders so that they could become more effective uh, evangelizers. They can convert more um, and they can uh, create a written writing system for those societies that didn't have it. But it was eventually outlawed and ignored uh, when the Spanish-speaking Creoles, or like Creoles, the mixed language between indigenous and Spanish, by the way, in case you didn't know, um, so it became eventually illegal to speak indigenous languages or languages that weren't Spanish or close enough to Spanish. Uh, and then that, that's how the constitution was written out, etc. But then we get to the Mexican revolution. Um, the guy who touched off the revolt against Spain was a Catholic priest. His name is father Miguel Hidalgo y Costilla. He is remembered today as a father of Mexican independence. Um, he is inspired by the American and French revolutions. Mexican insurgents saw this opportunity in 1808 when the king abdicated in Madrid and Spain was overwhelmed by war and occupation. I think this is like Napoleon time too. Where like Napoleon's like, this is my brother, whatever, he's the king. And then they're like, fuck no. Uh, so he's displaced. Uh, and then the rebellion began as an idealistic peasant and miners movement led by Miguel Hidalgo y Costilla, who issued a, a poem called The Cry of Dolores. Um, on September 16th, 1810, this day is celebrated as Independence Day still. Wow. It's not Cinco de Mayo, as people might think. It's not Mexican Independence Day. We'll get into that later. Oh, yeah. In, in part two. Shouting independence and death to the Spaniards. And they marched uh, to the capital with a very <laughs> large, yet poorly organized army, which was routed out quickly by the Spanish, and then Hidalgo was executed, unfortunately. 
So they got into Mexican City with the Mexican army, and then another priest, um, which is kind of cool, the priest came in with the Spanish, and they're like, well, these guys kind of got a point. Slavery is bad. Yeah. Jose Maria Morelos took over, and he made a more successful quest for republicanism and independence. So Spain's monarchy was restored in 1814 after Napoleon's defeat. Waterloo! <laughs> <laughs> I was defeated in Waterloo. That's another good... Uh, Abba, uh, this is the Abacast. Anyway... Um, after Napoleon's defeat, so they uh, they fought back. They executed Morelos in 1815, but these scattered insurgents formed guerrilla bands. And in 1820, the Creoles, um, people, the blended people, mestizos, yeah. uh, natives, Spanish, led by Agustin de Intrabide, they joined a rebellion and they formed the Plan de Iguala and demanded independent constitutional monarchy and a religious monopoly for the Catholic Church and equality for Spaniards and Creoles. Okay. And on September 27th, 1821, so seven years after um, Jose Maria Morelos took over, uh, they, it would be the new leader, and the viceroy signed the Treaty of Cordoba, whereby Spain grants the demands and withdraws. And this takes us to the final part of this episode before we get into our modern Mexico history. The years after independence. Um, so this it's, it's gets pretty fucking chaotic. Oh, yeah. Uh, the presidency changed hands 75 times in 55 years. Jesus Christ. Uh, so pretty unstable table. Uh, Spanish keeps trying to reconquer Mexico. They keep coming back, and Mexico's like, uh, fuck off. We said no. We mean no. <laughs> we meant it. Uh, and so... Uh, this next part will cover two periods from 1821 to 1825, Mexican waters, so water warfare. Mexico has to make an, its own navy and fight back. Um, and then shit happens with Cuba. Uh, and anyway, Spain Spain never gets control of Mexico again. They stay free, um, but they did a lot of damage, and it's going to yep. take a long time to repair that. And this will conclude part one of our episode on the beautiful, huge, and deeply historical country of Mexico. Yep, and we're going to pick off right back here with the history in the next episode um, and wrap that up all the way to present day and then get into a longer cultural discussion. Sure will. Yep. All right, see you then. All right, bye, guys.